Well, praise the Lord, church. So praise the Lord, church. Praise the Lord, church. It is always good to praise the Lord, even when we're facing difficult circumstances, because He's good, He's faithful, He's our God, even when it's hard to see. As Pastor Thurman said, my name is Steve Shaper. I'm a pastoral intern here, and I'm also the youth director, and I'm pleased to open God's Word with you. We're going to pivot now and go back to our series on mission in the early church, and I've been given the task to look at Paul with the early church and what mission looked like there. So if you could turn to Acts 13, Acts 13, and we're going to look at the end of the passage, Acts 13, verses 38 through 52, Acts 13, 38 through 52. And and as you're turning there, uh, I want you to consider a song, a song by a guy named Ed Sheeran, and the song's called Photograph, that's the name of it, and it's a good song But what makes it even better is if you listen to the song with the music video. Because what's happening in the song is is, um, Ed Sheeran's talking about his relationship with his family. And during the music video, there's these home videos of him as a little baby to a toddler to uh, a little kid. And all the way up to the present right now where he's going out doing shows as a young man. And as I watched that video and listen to the song, the song ends and I think to myself, well, where's, where's he going now? What's going to happen next in his life? What's in store for him after this? And in the passage that we're looking at, Paul is giving a sermon to the Jews in diaspora and he's giving little pictures of the whole history of Israel. And he's starting with Abraham and moves on to David and eventually gets to Jesus. And then after proclaiming the good news of Jesus to the Jews, He gives them this bold warning, this like severe warning, and then he stops and cuts it off right there. And it's almost like they should ask the question, hmm, where do we go from here? What's next for God's people? So if you're there, can you follow along as I read? This is Acts 13, 38 through 52. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins has been proclaimed to you. Through Him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able, you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what happened to the prophets have said, excuse me, take care that what, what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, that's where he stopped the sermon, sorry. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw this, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. Now, we now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. 
I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord was spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Precious Father, we know that Your Word is sharp, that it's active, that it separates bone and marrow. We ask that today You would prick our hearts, that You would guide us by Your Word, but You wouldn't leave us there, that the marrow of Your Holy Spirit would just rebuild us, Lord, that it would, through Your Holy Spirit, make us more into the image of Your Son. Help us to know Your grace and live it out today. In your name we pray. Amen. So when Grace and I, my wife Grace and I, lived in Chicago, we didn't go out that much. Um, But on this one particular day, we decided to get some food with a friend, and then we went to Lincoln Park Zoo. Lincoln Park Zoo is a free zoo in the Chicago area. It's a park so you can walk through it, and then there's animals there, and and so it's it's pretty nice. And uh, it's not as nice as the zoo in St. Louis, like... It's really not that nice. But it's okay. It's okay. And um, so it was kind of a cloudy day. It was in the winter time. It was wet, kind of damp, and it was in the evening. And so not that many animals were outside. And so that was a little disappointing. But as we approached uh, an enclosure down the way, I saw that there was a snow leopard there. I thought, oh, well, it, it's, you know, it's winter time. The snow leopard will probably be out. And sure enough, he was. And so we approached, and, and I was getting excited to see him, but my excitement to see this animal like quickly shifted to disappointment and even, even sadness. Because when I walked to, to get closer and see what he was doing, his eyes were glazed over, and he just kind of kept doing the same robotic movements over and over. He was walking this trail, and even though we approached and other things were going on around us, he made no interaction with what was outside of his enclosure. He he had no awareness of what was going on. And I could tell he had been doing this over and over and over again because the dirt that he was walking, like everywhere else was grass and a little bit of snow, but this was a mud and dirt trail because he had done it so many times. And and my excitement was, was now sadness because this beautiful, awesome creature, right, full of power, full of glory, a snow leopard, was reduced to this monotony and even insanity because of its captivity and being contained. And I thought about uh, our own mission. When we contain God's mission, it's because grace has become routine to us. It's because grace is mundane. And so God's mission is contained because we haven't really got it. We haven't taken this grace. uh, It hasn't captivated our hearts But God's mission isn't meant to be contained. God's grace isn't meant to be contained. It's meant to go out, and it's meant to go out in front to everyone, not contained in an enclosure where an animal is just not associating with the outside world. And so what we're going to see today is that God showers his people. He showers his people with grace. And what this does is it bursts open the floodgates of, of his mission. 
And to the degree that we get God's grace, to we grasp it, to that degree will we be on his mission to share it to other people. It's almost like um, if grace is my resource, if the grace of God is my resource, then mission is going to be my chief export. That's what's going to come out naturally. So how does this happen? That's what we're going to look at today. First, we're going to see that, that because God showers his people with grace, we must heed the warning of containing grace. Next, that we need the truth of sustaining grace. And third, we must feed the people by proclaiming grace. So let's start with heeding the warning of containing grace. The first thing that we can pull out of this text is that God was doing a work. God was active. He was doing something. In verse 41, it says, Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. And sometimes it can be hard for us to see the Old Testament passages, especially prophecy passages used in the New Testament. But for the audience, for the people in the diaspora, Jews in the diaspora, they would have like known what this was about. And it's from Habakkuk 1, where there's some really bad stuff going on because God's people aren't living as they should. In fact, there's like violence going on in the community. There's social corruption. There's spiritual bankruptcy. In other words, they're containing the goodness of God because they're not living as a light to the nations. They're not living as they should. And we know and they knew that God did what he promised to do. It was a prophecy. And in 586, 587, the Babylonians came in and and took over and they were punished. And so what Paul's doing is he's pointing them back to God doing a work in the midst of that circumstance. But then what Paul does as he ties it to now, to their situation right now. And he's saying, don't miss it. Look at what's happening right now. God is doing a work right now. And this warning needs to be heeded. In verse 41, we can look at the, at the text, and, and might, we might miss it because of the translation, but it's literally for a work I work in the days of you, a work in which you would not believe. So the point is, God is active. He's doing something. Don't miss it. And then he stops the sermon right there. And the people are like, okay, let me, let me think about this. What do, I, what do we do with this? And it's almost like what Paul is doing is giving you a pretest before the real test comes. You know when your teachers did that in school, like they would kind of give you the pretest, even sometimes like help you work through it and give you some of the answers, because the test is coming. And the test happens next. And they fail it because they like grace for mission in theory, but they don't like it in practice. They like the idea of grace for mission, but when it comes to actually living it out, not so much. Look at verse 43. It says, When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts in Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and they talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. And even before, the people invited them to come back. That word invited isn't like a cautious, hey, come on. No, it's, they, they like beg them. They're like, hey, come back and tell this story. This story is good. We like this. We like hearing about the grace of God for people through Jesus Christ. And they're shaking their head. They're like, yes. So they like it in theory. And then here comes the practice. Verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, 
They were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and heaped abuse on him. So you, you see what happened? We like grace for us. But all these other nations, all these other people, not for them. Not to practice it and live it out and extend it to them. Grace in theory, but not in practice. There's a disconnect there. There's a Christian rapper, goes by the name of Bizzle. And he posted on Instagram about a year ago, if you care about justice when you're the victim, if you only care about justice when you're the victim, it's not righteousness, it's selfishness. And if we apply that to our, our situation, this text, if grace is only for people like you, or if grace is only for people like me, then it really isn't grace at all, right? You know, I, I've heard people talking in this church fairly often about how we want to be racially diverse, how we want to be a church of diversity, and it's even one of our constitutional goals. The goal says to be part of the neighborhood surrounding the church building of the West End in St. Louis. But back when I was in seminary, um, I had a, a paper that I worked on where I studied the church and the, and the community surrounding grace and peace. And it turns out that the West End is, uh, according to the census, is like seven, over 70% African-American. And so we have to ask ourselves, is the mission, is grace for the mission, in theory, matching up with the grace for the mission in practice? What are some other areas? What are some other areas? What's your hot button issue? In this church, maybe some of us feel some type of way about a projector, for or against, right? <laughs> or I even heard last Sunday uh, in, in the meeting, some of us are for um, uh, church planning, some of us are against it. Can you give grace for the mission of God, wherever you stand on that topic? Or your worship style? You have a particular worship style that you appreciate that you identify with, can you give grace to another style for the mission of God? Don't get quiet on me now. You guys, are, everyone's getting a little bit like pulling back. All right. What about with in your neighborhood? You have that person that lives down the street. They always pull through and their music's super loud. Can you give grace to them for the mission of God? Or you live in an apartment and you don't always like the way the food smells of your neighbor down the hall and it even gets in your house. Can you give grace for the mission of God? I'm intimidated by some of my neighbors when they congregate on the corner. It makes me uncomfortable. Can you give grace for the mission of God? How does it apply for you at work or at school? Where is the hot button issue that just rubs you the wrong way? where you can give grace for the mission of God. See, we can't contain God's grace. We ought not contain God's grace, and that's the warning that we're hearing from Paul right now. And if you take the warning seriously, it might be stepping on your toes. You might feel some type of way right now, like it's cramping your style. But that's okay, because God's word can do that, right? That's what happens in this passage. God kind of comes at people through Paul. Others of you are saying... Man, I've given grace to people. I've tried to be nice. Um, and then they mistreat me. And I, I, I felt bitter about that. I felt upset about that. You know, they mistreat me, and then I think like, uh, oh, I'm, I'm never going to let that happen to me again. I should have said this. I should have done that. And something like that happened to me at, at an auto auction, actually. Um, 
I was buying a car, a truck back in college because I was trying to uh, move DJ equipment around and, and so I was on Christmas break and, um, and so I went to this auto auction and I, I purchased a truck and, um, I didn't have enough money at the right up front. So I paid what I had and then I went and gathered up some more money and, you know, leaned on my mom and dad to, to put up a little bit of money for me. And then I paid the rest of it off three, three or four days later. And I drove it home. And, um, and then when I was getting ready to take it somewhere else, it wouldn't start. I was like, oh, what's this? So I opened up the hood and things were different. Like inside of the hood, they had replaced stuff from when I, like I bid on it and won it to three days, four days later when I actually took it home. The battery was different. Like parts were just different. I thought, man, they got me, you know? And so I became bitter and upset about that. And we could do that too in our lives when we're facing difficult circumstances, when we are facing mistreatment from other people. So how can we resist the urge to become bitter and cold and and hardened to our neighbors, to the people around us? That brings us to our second point, and that's that we need the truth of sustaining grace. We need the truth of sustaining grace. And we're going to look at two main things here in this point. Joy of eternal life and freedom in Christ Jesus. So what's the joy of eternal life? Well, what we're coming across here is that there's a larger perspective When you have an eternal life perspective, then it helps you deal with the day-to-day mistreatment, the deal deal with the day-to-day abuses, to even the deal with the day-to-day hardships. Look at verse 47. He says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. But it doesn't stop there. As we jump down, we see that Paul and Barnabas and the disciples faced more persecution. And verse 45 even says that they faced abuse. And even all the while, 52 says the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. How are you going to be filled with joy facing these abuse, these persecutions? When you're you're having a difficult circumstance, things that you think God can never do anything with this. It's an eternal life perspective. Sometimes for us, um, at, at least for me, I can think of eternal life as just this fairy tale, this mythical reward that I just hope that happens and, and, and it's not real, it's not tangible. But if we think about the promises of Jesus and the promises of Jesus from the beginning, then we know that eternal life is a true, real, and good promise for us today to face the problems that we face right now because we have that bigger perspective. 1 John chapter 2, 24 and 25 says, If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And hear this. And this is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. This is the promise that he made to us. Eternal life. In other words, The God-man, Jesus Christ, who really walked on this earth, who was really here, as Hans Hans Beyer calls him, Yahweh in sandals, right? God Almighty, right here on earth, he promises eternal life from the beginning. And then not only did he just promise it, but he proved that his word was good because on the third day he rose again, right? 
And he said that that's what's going to happen to you as well for all who believe in me. The promise is good. And so you can face trials. The disciples even face death because of the eternal perspective of what's to come. I worked in discipline prior to coming to St. Louis with young people. And, um, and, you know, working with discipline, that can be a rough group. And they can say some pretty harsh things. And fairly regularly, I would, people would say they hate me. Kids would say they hate me. Um, they would threaten my life. It would tell me they're, they're going to get people to come up to the school or uh, to shoot me and, and all this other thing. There's super high turnover rate in those type of fields, right? Because it's tough, okay? There's a high turnover rate. But I was able to come back day after day because of the bigger picture. I had seen kids go from struggling, from really hurting to moving towards a life of success and going off to college and doing big things. I knew I was part of of a bigger picture, a bigger system of doing something that matters for young people. And that's what kept me motivated even as I'm getting cussed out. So if you're going through abuse or you're going through a difficult circumstance, look at the bigger picture of eternal life, the promise that Jesus Christ makes to us. Now when it, it comes to mission... It can be difficult to think about like how we, we have to keep doing more and being more and, and you can feel bogged down by that. But all the while, Paul's talking about freedom. It's like freedom, like how does that, how does that work? How do you get freedom with mission? Verse 39, he says, through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. A justification you are not able to uh, obtain under the law of Moses. Freedom with mission, how does that go? How does that work out? When in the context of mission, we know that Christ frees us from every sin, even the sins of not reaching out to my neighbor, even the sins of not loving uh, the person who's putting abuses on me, even, even not loving and reaching out to the people at my workplace. You know, if I could just be real for a second, I, I've been afraid and uncomfortable to meet with with a mentally ill man. But Jesus, Jesus cleanses the man with an unclean spirit, and he did that not only for the man with the unclean spirit, but he also did it in my place, and your place too, if you believe. I'm too busy to make a meal for my sick friend, but we heard from Luke 4 that Jesus goes to Simon's mother-in-law, and he touches her, and he heals her of her fever. Not just for her, but in my place and in, in your place, if you believe. My neighbor on the autism spectrum is kind of embarrassing to me, and so I don't go out in public. But what does Jesus do? Jesus touches the leper in front of everyone, not just for that leper to be healed, but also in my place and in your place. I'm too exhausted at the end of the week to talk to my depressed friend. Jesus... Uh, meets with the person who has broken the chains and cuts himself in the cemetery. Not just for that person, but for me too in my place. Uh, I'm too tired to, to, to be with other people. Jesus wakes from the boat to calm the storm for his disciples. It's been months since I've written my friend who's in prison. And Jesus meets those who are in bondage right where they are. Not just for that person, but for me in my place and you in your place, if you believe. 
The truth is, I fail the law, even the law of going out and reaching my neighbors, even being missional. I fail it time and time again. But Jesus credits his perfect missional standing before God, his perfect missional uh, achievement, and he credits it to me. And he looks at my bankrupt account, the ways that I haven't lived up to what I'm supposed to do, and he puts it on his back and punishes the sin on the cross. That's freedom, right? Jesus does this for us. He takes my report card of straight F's and applies his straight A's. Everyone who believes is set free from every sin, every sin, even when I neglect my neighbor. And this truth of grace is my only way to sustain mission. It's my only hope. All right, let's move on. (laughs) Main point three, because God showers us with grace, we must feed the people by proclaiming grace. Because of the, the grace that we just heard about, we must feed the people by proclaiming grace. We see in the passage that Paul and Barnabas, they're compelled to proclaim the message. And, and, and yes, they're commanded. God has given a command. But they also do it because the message is so good. The message is so good. Verse 38 says, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. So it is a have to, but it's also a get to. I want to proclaim the message. And the message is good. People are forgiven of their sins. But will you proclaim it? Will you share it? You know, uh, a while back when I was growing up, there was a, um, a ad campaign by Twix. And you know, Twix is the, the two candy bars and one wrapper. And they used to say, two for me, none for you. You guys remember that? And, and the idea was that because this, this treat is so good, I'm not going to share it at all. And that's not what the gospel says. Instead, the grace of God is more like the three-point seatbelt. What do I mean? In uh, the 1950s, there was an inventor named uh, Nils Bolin. And I might be destroying his name, but you can look it up. Um, he was a, a Swedish inventor, and he worked for Volvo. And um, they were trying to come up with a way to keep people safe, but just easy. You know, just just click it one hand, make it super easy. And they came up with the three-point seatbelt, the one that's probably in your car. In fact, I'm almost sure it's in your car because it came a, became a law that everyone had to have it. And so what Volvo did with their patent, instead of withholding it and making other car manufacturers pay for it, is they gave it freely to everyone said, Ford, have it. Dodge, have it. Everyone can have this patent. And it's estimated that uh, over 100 million lives, I'm sorry, 1 million lives have been saved in the, the five decades between then and now. See, the message is so good that you have to share it. Lives are going to be saved because we have to share it. We must feed the people and proclaim grace. We also see here that the true message will cut through the noise. In verse 49, it says, When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad 
and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed believed, and the word of the Lord spread through the whole region. You know, it can be difficult to um, share the message sometimes because you think everyone has, has heard it. Because you think, oh, well, you know, this, Christ, this country has some Christian pr- principles, and, uh, and so we've heard this message, and so, you know, I'm nervous to share the message. But one of the things that I've encountered time and time again, and I've even seen it in the media, is that people believe that Christianity is just another deity who's telling you to do works so you can get the reward of heaven. But that's not the Christian message. That's not the message. They've missed grace. And so the message is still good. The message is still fresh. It's still new. And so we have to bring this message of grace because it is the good news that saves. You know, I'll conclude with, um, with Paul's message to the Ephesians elder, Ephesian elders in Acts 20. And Paul's realizing that he's towards the end of his life and he's going to make his way towards Jerusalem and it's not going to end well. And, uh, well, it, it's not going to end well in, in our terms, but in his terms, he knows he's getting eternal life. And he says in Acts 20, 24, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Did you hear it? The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That was Paul's mission, and that's our mission today too. And it's only through God's grace that we can testify to the good news of God's grace. So I want to encourage you all today, do not let grace become routine. Instead, let our mission overflow from the radical love and grace that God has given us. And you can do that by heeding the warning of containing grace and needing the truth of sustaining grace and feeding the people by proclaiming grace. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, you've given us a difficult mission, but you've empowered us to do it. Lord, even even in light of terrible circumstances, tragedy, we can still hear the words of mission because they're rooted in your grace. Feed us today, Lord. Help us heed the words of containing mission, the warnings against it. Help us know our need for your grace to sustain this mission as well, Lord. Help us to live it out and proclaim it. Pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.